Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Okay, well, welcome everybody to the Regenerative by Design podcast. I'm Joni Kinwalmore, your host, and today we have Janine Zakazener and Russ Zenner joining us to talk about some really cool, novel, family-connected, regenerative, healthy food company collaboration. And um, welcome, you guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us, Joni. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, this is great. So you guys um, aren't going to be able to see what I'm looking at, but I'm looking at Janine and Russ in the same room, which is fantastic. Um, And today we're having um, a few little glitches where I'm going to be recording on different equipment. So bear with me (laughs) if I seem to stumble a little. It's just because of technical stuff. And um, and we're going to talk about this really awesome partnership that is developed between Zaka Hummus and Zenner Farms. And so to get kicked off, I was just wondering if Janine and Russ, if you guys could introduce yourselves, like who you are as far as your relation to one another, and then we'll get into your biz- businesses and how they work together um, in the second second part. So go ahead and take it away, Russ. Let's start with you. Well, uh, I'm father-in-law, married to our son, Chris. Um, They live in Boise, Idaho, and our farm is in Genesee, Idaho, uh, sort of the southeastern portion of the Palouse region. We're on the breaks of the Clearwater River, Um, but raise grains and pulse crops, and um, got in, since Janine got into the hummus business, we've been using... uh, beans from our farm uh, to supply her needs for making the hummus. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's been really exciting to see her business grow and um, it, um, inspires the next generation on our farm to keep raising the guards in, in a regenerative, sustainable manner. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's, a rough overview. <laughs> yeah. That's my now, There's a lot more to the story, but. <laughs> yes, there is. But that's a great starting point. So, Russ, did you grow up eating hummus in Genesee, Idaho? I did not. And I was, <laughs> okay. I was, I was even on the USA Dry Pea and Little Council uh, Board of Directors and Director of the Research Committee. And that was clear back in the 80s. And I don't know if we even knew of hummus then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually garbanzos were only they were started they were started raising garbanzos in the Palouse uh, in the or very early eighties. Uh we had one of our first crops okay. in mid eighties. Um and so 
Yeah, it was it was long before hummus was. Uh, yeah, this was, is yeah fairly recent. So Janine, um, I I it's fun because I've known Janine for a few years and have just marveled at everything she does, and <laughs> she's just such an inspiring person. And I I love how this other the rest of the story comes together through marriage to start with. So tell us a little bit about your background, Janine. I don't think you grew up in Genesee, Idaho. <laughs> At least that wasn't the story I heard. So oh, if you yeah. could tell us a little bit about sure. like, you know, where you come from and, and your family and how you married into this family. And then, and then we can end at hummus, how hummus comes into the conversation. Sure. Well, I grew up about 3000, actually quite a bit more than 3000 miles away from the Genesee uh, area. <laughs> so Kit, um, Russ's son, Chris, he went to grad school in Miami, Florida, which is where I was living um, and raised. I was actually born and raised in Jamaica, moved to Florida um, in Miami. And he went to grad school and that's where we met. He interned at a company I was working for after I had graduated. Um, and this, you know, Idaho farm boy charmed the hell out of me. And <laughs> I am uh, Lebanese descent, uh, grew up on hummus. Um, we met literally within months, moved Moved to Idaho, got married, um, and that's kind of how the story began. His mom, Kathy Zenner, was shipping my mom dry garbanzo beans from the farm and lentils every year since we got married um, to Miami, from Genesee to Miami, just shipping it, you know, you postal service yeah. shipment every year for Christmas. Um, and that's when she started making hummus with their dry garbanzo beans. Yeah, um, so it, yeah, with we our, have the mothers, the mother-in-laws are also involved with the story. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. It started with the farm That's boy coming so to Miami and ended up with the mother-in-laws, you know, shipping the beans and making it at home. And it's our family recipe and their uh, farm-raised amazing garbanzo beans. So that's kind of that how the connection so started. Cool. Yeah, that is so cool. I, I don't, I haven't heard very many stories that started like this, you guys. I think this is a really like rare and special and fun kind of, you know, where the universe comes together to make amazing things happen. So when did you first start thinking about selling hummus as beyond your family? I'm sure your loved ones were hitting you up for it all the time. Like Janine, we're inviting you over for dinner, but the caveat is, is you had to bring extra hummus. <laughs> literally, <laughs> is that how it started? literally always. That was definitely it. And I was, you know, back in the day when we first got married, I was opening up cans of garbanzo beans to make our hummus recipe. And it wasn't until my mom came to my Boise kitchen and saw me open that can of garbanzo beans and yelled in her, you know, very sweet Arabic way, what the hell are you yeah. doing? And why aren't you using these <laughs> beans from the farm? And I said, well, because I don't want to soak, boil, uh, cool <laughs> and process. Yes. And she said, well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So yeah. she forced, yeah. forced it on to me and we fought over the recipe and she said, well, it needs more lemon juice, more garlic, more tahini. I said, no, it's good just the way it is. My friends all tell me how, how perfect it is. And she said, well, Janine in her Arabic accent, they don't know how, what perfect is. Yes. So that's, a good that, point, Mom. that's actually when Zach Hummus really initiated, started because I changed my recipe, of course, when she left to her, to her, um, you know, specs. And then we really mm -hmm. started actually making it for friends, family. And then we started getting requests 
for, for big events and things like that. And I thought, okay, I'm working at home as an accountant with three boys. And I said, you know, I got to figure this thing out. And it was the University of, actually, it was Chris, his sister, Chandra, that um, in, introduced me to the University of Idaho Food Tech Center in Caldwell. Oh, has, okay. Yes. It has, they have a, um, literally a one-day class called How to Start Especially Food Business. So I thought, well, that should be easy enough, $75 back then. Uh, so I took it, and based on that, I started um, experimenting in their kitchen with their team. It's a little bit of R&D, and we, you know, hit the farmer's markets and the local markets, and that's how we got started over 10 years ago. Yeah, wow, that's a great, great story. I love it, and I love your hummus, and I'm one of those people that I've, I've made a lot of hummus in restaurants. Um, I worked in a middle, like a Levant-inspired cafe when I was mm. in 18, and it really kind of changed my whole outlook on food growing up in rural Oregon. I clearly didn't grow up eating hummus um, <laughs> in a Swedish family. It was not part of our cultural <laughs> heritage at all. And um, But it, my my mind was really opened. And, you know, I've, I've been grateful to see hummus coming into the market because when you're in a hurry and you want something, but I'm usually really underwhelmed by the product. And that's why yours is so different to me is it actually tastes like homemade hummus. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a whole different thing. And you don't skimp on the things that makes hummus so amazing, like the tahini. I agree with your mom. Most of the conventional ones out there, like the tahini is a mute point. Like, I, you know, you yeah. can't really taste it. And um, I always find that to be really disappointing. And so I, I love how you guys have brought this forth and you have done a really good job growing Zaka hummus um, through, you know, pretty pretty amazing savvy business ways. And so how have you guys, you know, built this whole supply chain? Because, you know, I'm in the regenerative world too, and I, I'm working to do pharma-connected sourcing. And my goodness, it is not the easy way to do it. It's seriously <laughs> so much simpler just to call up your local commodities dealer and just say, hey, ship me this. I don't care where it came from. I don't care if it's sustainable, as long as it's cheap. And that is really food is, you know, that's how the food business runs. And and it's really tough when you're doing something different. So tell me about how you guys have built this business structure where you're, you have Russ and the family growing the beans, harvesting them. Um, you know, you're probably not buying the entire harvest from them day one. You're probably figuring out some financial things that make that work out for both par parties. I'd love to hear about that. Like, how have you done this? So I'll just start out by saying, you know, my local commodity broker is calling up Russ and say, hey, Russ, I need, you know, a th in, you know, 20,000 pounds this year when we first started, right? And he literally mm -hmm. through the, his co-op was able to ship, drive down garbanzo beans to our production center in Caldwell. That was back in the day. We literally were, he was driving bags of beans down from the farm in his truck to our facility or to my kitchen, nice. my uh, garage where I would ship it up to the kitchen. And that yeah. hasn't, truly hasn't changed much through the years other than we're doing <laughs> truckloads, shipping it to man manufacturers in, in Chicago. But that's just, you know, the, the fact that we are vertically integrated to the farm and we can do that puts us, uh, you know, a step above most other manufacturers, like you said, that have to really go searching for it. So we're very yeah. fortunate to have that and, that vertical integration will we will always have as long as we have the farm and that's a commitment that Russ has always given us and and we still have today with uh, his cousin now running the farm but I'll let 
uh, Russ kind of talk you through that farming side of that wonderful process that we have set up? Well, uh, I guess the other, I guess, big component of this was the cooperation from Pacific Northwest Farmers Cooperative. <clears throat> and at mm -hmm. that point in time, Bill Newbury, the CEO of that company, um, he, he agreed to identity preserve uh, designated to bend for our garbs at harvest. Cool. And then did some uh, early on uh, some small runs of processing, just cleaning them and bagging them. Uh, yeah. To to having shaped uh, ship somewhere to be processed into the hummus, but to to this day that still uh, remains a significant component of of the success of this is their cooperation, and it's just been wonderful. Um, That's fantastic. Bill, Bill has been um, very inspired by Janine's passion, and. Uh, was hoping that someday he would see something like this, <laughs> what has recently happened with Kroger. And, you know, we're just all nice. excited for her uh, passion to stick with it. Um, and I told her from the start, uh, you got a very good product. Nobody else on the hummus shelf has your story as far as yeah. going from the farm to the shelf. And... Um, our, we had been involved in the very early phases of shepherd's grain flour. Our farm mm -hmm. was one of the first handful of growers for shepherd's grain flour. And again, that back enough, that was all about trying to cash in on the environmental benefit of the no-till cropping system uh, mm -hmm. uh, in the food chain. And um, shepherd's grain, uh, we were involved in a lot of the promotion in that. That's started in about 2003. Mm -hmm. So we've sort of been through this process with Shepherd's Grain. And um, I could see, you know, I've been asked, did you ever expect this to happen? And um, I, you know, I'm not surprised <laughs> because she's got such a great product. And again, yeah. uh, you know, even on the flower shelf now, there's a little more competition for Shepherd's yes. Grain as far as... <laughs> Taking it yep. back to the grower, um, but um, you know it's it's just it, it was just a function of persistence, uh, a lot of hard work. <laughs> yes, uh, and um, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's just so exciting to see what has happened with this Kroger thing. But uh, a lot yeah, of that's along the way. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm excited to talk about that in the market development piece too, but you brought up a couple of things that, you know, I think that we should elaborate on a little bit because I'm really familiar with Shepherd's Grains um, team and their, and their story and whatnot. And a lot of people don't realize how much of a shift has happened in agriculture over the last couple of decades where we had a very um, narrow focus and companies like Shepherd's Grain, like Zaka Hummus, have brought in a diversity of, of value to the field mm -hmm. to kind of inspire um, farmers to to be able to look for different crops that they can grow that are beyond just one or two commodity crops. And, and it, I think it's not to be understated how important all of these various players have been in kind of bringing more of a diversity to both farmlands and to the marketplace. Um, you know, obviously shepherd's grain, especially with a focus on wheats, but, you know, when you look at what dominated the Palouse in the 80s, 
And the, um, as far as soft winter wheats that were being exported to Asia, and then Shepherd's Grain comes along and says, I think we should grow hard, hard wheats for bread. I mean, that wasn't being commonly done at that time in, in, in the nineties, eighties and nineties. And, <laughs> and, and when we look at how that's impacted the whole, um, you know, ecological system of the Palouse, which is a farming system, it's really bringing a lot of needed diversity into that system as far as I'm concerned. So I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about, you know, how that market has changed. Like what you as a farmer, how is that impacting you? Well, for me, I would say the last uh, 15 years of my career, um, it was the motivation, uh, the excitement. Um, you know, a farming was, was related to how can we perfect no-till farming? Um, how can we get better at it? You know, and and the, the connection as a former commodity grower, and this started in Shepherd's Grain, but the connection from the commodity grower to the consumer was an entirely new experience. And, and that's the case for nearly all of the commodity growers in this country. Wheat growers, barley growers, uh, even a lot of the pulse crops, uh, just the commodity product and not trying to find areas where you can add value to that. And mm -hmm. the, the exciting thing was that no-till farming is, is, was desperately needed in the Palouse region to curb water erosion uh, implications to how we farm. Mm -hmm. Central Washington, yes. the wind erosion implications to how traditional farming was. And it's just been the, the fact that you can communicate with consumers that are paying attention to how their food is grown and understand and appreciate uh, how that is being done is powerful motivation to continue and to motivate Janine. You know, we're doing the right mm -hmm. thing here. You got to be able to sell this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Understanding that uh, the small the small food producer uh, entry into these big markets is very difficult. Yes. Yeah, you bring up so many good points here and. You know, as far as the <laughs> next generation of farmers, like you said, that it's is it your cousin that is taking over? It's the I, next generation you know, cousin, of, yes. Yeah, right. yeah, the next generation. I've I've had so many conversations with farmers about how they're really struggling to pass the legacy of the farm on, and they're concerned about what's going to happen. A lot of the farms are being sold into private equity or you know ownership stake from overseas, even because the, the younger generation doesn't want to just grow commodity. They want to do, if they're going to get into farming, A, they want a little more control over it. And B, they want it to be special. Um, you know, they want it to be something they can brag about on social media and say, what we're doing is is high integrity. It's, and we're connecting the consumers. Mm -hmm. I think people are craving that connection. So I, I, I'm really glad you took a moment to talk about that. And Janine, how are you communicating this story to your consumers? I'd love for you to kind of take a moment and talk about how that is developing and how that, that, um, you know, relationship is passing through, um, from Russ all the way through to your consumer through the experience of your hummus. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the hardest part, Joni, actually getting the communication <laughs> side out. Um, but it's that easier. So, you know, back when we started, it was this big local initiative, right? Everybody wanted local brands. So, 
you were able to literally walk into your local co-op and say, hey, I have a product. Um, are you interested in it? And they they would say, yeah, sure. You know, bring it in next week. It was literally that easy back back in the day just to get your onesie, twosie, you know, your local stores. Um, now I think the consumer is actually requesting it and demanding it more. And so the opportunity to get into the larger retails have, have opened up because of that. So um, it's not just a local initiative anymore. It is a, you know, truly a farm-to-table initiative. So people are demanding to know where their food comes from. So with brands like ours yes. that can actually show we have traceability to the farm, it's unique, but they're out there. Ours just might be unique to hummus, but they're they're actually um, getting a lot more uh, support on the retailer side to bring those kind of brands in, you know, the natural, the organics, but now it's really focusing on fresh and local. And, mm-hmm. you know, just as an example with Kroger, this Go Fresh and Local initiative that they start, set out, it's consumer centric. It's based on consumer demand and it's their goal is to um, basically support brands like ours that are true to that initiative. And ours is one and that's why we were placed up, you know, so high on that platform is because they really want to show that we're listening to our consumers where our decisions are being um, based on what consumers are demanding and they actually are paying attention to that. And that's just huge from where we were 10 years ago. We, you couldn't, mm-hmm. you, you didn't hear that from retailers. I don't think retailers, you know, it's no fault to them. I just think that it's just time, you know, and we yeah. are in the right time at the right place. And we just happen to be this far along to be able to do that. And, you know, Saying that also, we wouldn't be here if it, if it wasn't for our manufacturing partner that we have. Um, we just, back in 2018, we partnered with a company called Devonco Foods in Chicago, and um, they're a very large Mediterranean manufacturing company um, that was starting a hummus company, and they we partnered with them to launch. If it wasn't for their you know, expertise, their R&D team, um, what they brought to the table, we wouldn't be ready for a launch like this. So that's mm-hmm. the other side that's really difficult for local companies to branch out of their local uh, area yes. as well is the R&D that's needed, the you know shelf life, you know all yeah. about that, um, that it takes yeah. to do that. So combination of things is where um, we are today, and we're just very fortunate to, to have had all of this happen at the times that it's happened and we're ready for it. So mm-hmm. it's a great story. I, I'm so thrilled by your success and what, what is happening. I want to be able to go to Fred Meyer and get Zaka hummus. Cause right now you I can't will. get it. You will. Uh, <laughs> in my backyard. You will in January. That's our launch date. <laughs> oh, and I got to tell you that so exciting. I'm going to put in a plug and then I, then I do want to just put in another plug for Albertsons, but that Kroger team and this pro this program that they have developed for, this Go Fresh and Local um, Accelerator cohorts, um, they are backing it up 100%. I mean, we just won Amazing. what at the end of August. We are yes. we are scheduled to launch January first week in January in three of their divisions. That's almost 300 wow. stores. Their commitment wow. is real. They've we we you know we meet weekly um, just to get the execution yes. in line. So um, it's not just out there. It's they're. Um, they're actually doing what they say they're going to do. And it's been an amazing experience, nothing like we've ever had. But uh, my quick plug into Albertsons, hey, look, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Albertsons. We would not even be, uh, you know, on a a player if it wasn't for their 10 years ago willingness to launch a local brand that had 30-day shelf life. 
Our product was yeah. not even lasting on shelf. And they said, no, you're local. We love you. We're going to support you. And through these 10 years, they have supported us That's fully, amazing. fully to get us to where we are. That's awesome. And so, yeah, yeah. Good job. Very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And for those of you who are listening and don't know, Albertsons has its headquarters in Boise, Idaho. So any of their banners, Albertsons, I mean, they have regional control, but the actual Albertsons headquarters is in Boise. So that's fantastic when that walk and that talk come together. It doesn't always work out that way. I see a lot of, um, a lot of talk out there from retailers and and sometimes I don't see the walk that really backs it up. You know, I see the, and that's always frustrating. So when, when you do see retailers make that commitment and follow through, like you said with Kroger, like meeting weekly, making sure the executional milestones are being met. Most people don't realize how many details come together to make a launch like this happen. It's, it's like all Mama. hands on deck. <laughs> yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a lot of work and uh, preparation in it. And it's exciting. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you have enough garbs from this year's harvest, Russ? <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. But the other part of it is, uh, as, as Janine and Chris have uh, communicated, uh, a big part of the story was that our legacy in the family uh, with my grandfather coming from Luxembourg and starting all six of his boys farming in North Idaho, Palouse region. And now we have several center farms in the region that are going to be our go-to suppliers uh, if Clint can't produce at all. But we'll yeah. come from other center farms that are no-till farming. And That's so uh, we, cool. we, we, we've got a lot of production potential. So. I know, Wonderful. I know Janine's been asked about that, you know, with the Kroger yeah. potential volume, uh, you know, what can you supply? And we're, yes. uh, we, we've got a lot of supply potential. Yeah, so. Joni, we're not even 25% of their production right now. So we're fortunate. Yeah, and Russ did say long time out ago. Field, yeah. Yeah, you would, realize how much is out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot. He said, he said long time ago, I wish that... I'm hoping that that will be a problem for us when we run out yes. of supply. So we're that we're not there yet, the but goal. we're yeah, exactly. That is the goal. It's right. funny, like when you know when I'm talking to retailers, and they're like, "Well, you know, you've got these pilots with these farmers. What happens if they you use up all their grain?" I'm like, "That is the best problem to have. <laughs> like if if our biggest problem is that we're, you know, we need more farmers to grow for us. Like I'll know I've won, right? Yeah. Like." That's Absolutely. the problem I want to have because there's so many fantastic farmers out there that want to be growing in a in in a way that is regenerative and s- special. And I don't mean that to diminute, you know, from a like a diminutive perspective, but it's special. Like they're like, oh, what I'm doing really, really matters, and I'm growing this crop the best I can using the best methods. And that there's a gratification there that is really, really deep. Um, all the farmers that I know and work with that that's kind of what they want in life as they, they want to do good, honest work and they want to be compensated and they want to know at the end of the day, they made a difference. So I love how it's all coming through the whole channel in this, in this particular case, it's a very unique story. Have you guys been able to tell this story in this set, like, like this with both of you sitting down together many times before? (laughs) This is the first time. Probably the first time. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) I mean, we've had articles, we've had interviews, you know, separate interviews and articles written on, both the farm and the product, the, the stack of hummus, but we have not been able to sit together like this. And we wanted Chris to be in on it 
too. Yes. He he did come in and say hi earlier, but uh, we only have two oh, Air, okay. AirPods. So. <laughs> oh, sure. But, I know that is, you that know, does make an issue. Hey, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here, either one of us. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no right. kidding. And, he, the, and the Chris is such a fantastic boy. guy. Yeah. He's a cute farm boy yeah. and he's really fun and great and well, super smart. That's and he nailed, <laughs> he nailed the competition with me and Kroger. I mean, you know, I, I was full of dread and anxiety and he was full of, uh, he, he, he uh, described it as running onto the football field for the first time. Nice. So that's great. He, uh, yeah. Well, I yeah. love that. It's, it's a full family thing. So what, what, what's next for you guys? What are the plans for the future? Like I know this Kroger focus is going to consume a lot of your time and energy um, right now. And you do some work with food service in the Chicago area. Like once, you know, this Kroger, wave is is being ridden <laughs> yeah. and you guys are looking for what's next what what is next for you guys what other things are you looking at well um i mean right now like you said we're we're focusing on launching on production growth yeah. um and managing distribu- distribution right so that's going to be a full 12 month process for us but we're looking yeah. at growing the food service side quite a bit more we actually did launch with delta last year we're we have a Uh, ongoing contract with Delta. So yeah, we're trying to grow that a little bit more and just try to get out in different areas, food service, food service wise. And we do actually have some strong partners in that. So I think that's just Mm -hmm. got a lot of growth potential. Once we launch, like you said, once we're done with Kroger, um, we'd like to, you know, get into more divisions throughout the nation with between Kroger and Albertsons um, and try to get over to the East coast. You know, that in itself is going to take at least two or three years to cover. Yes. So with that, and with a, lot food doors. Service, this, a, yeah, lot doors a lot right of doors, a lot of doors. And, you know, we want to stick with what we do. Well, we've always done that. When we started, we started with a slow growth um, process and we're sticking to that because we know that you need to do something really well before you can venture on as far as, yeah. you know, R and D and product line development. Um, we'd like to see a little bit more on that, maybe on the snack side, creating um, a yeah. snack pack and um, maybe more flavors and, We've always talked about doing something with the lentils. So this is a lot, yes. but right now it's short term is um, yeah. just kind of managing our growth at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a handful right there. I love, um, I love all of your hummus, but I love the Mediterranean spicy one that has a good kick to it. It's just, yeah. there's really nothing else out there on the market like that. So, and I was thrilled to learn that you can now order from your website. Yep. Um, shipping things <laughs> that are perishable. I mean, that's like a whole nother adventure. Yeah. So um, I was super excited when I heard that that was a, that was a doable thing now. Cause um, I just, like I've said before, I'm always really disappointed when I buy hummus at the store. So yours is a game changer in that regard. Yeah. Um. Well, this, I, I love it that I've actually been able to get you guys in the same place in the same room to talk about this project. Now, Janine, you have kids. Um, are your kids getting involved in this, or are there other nieces <laughs> and nephews that want to join on? <laughs> Not right now. You know, uh, we've got one out of college, and he's in finance working for Goldman Sachs, so he's got a little bit above my pay scale. And then <clears throat> my other two are still, you know, second year of college and a first year in college, and they're more into one's in construction management, the other one's in business. So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, we, we did talk about the days when I had all three boys sitting around the and cousins um, sitting around our kitchen table labeling tubs. I mean, that really was yeah. when we were paying up yep. the label price, you know, 
two cents per label per yep. job. Um, so they yeah. they remember those days, and that might you know make them not want to come back into the business. But but right right now, um, you know, actually Chris is you know helping me a lot this year um, with yeah. our you know launches and stuff like that. But as far as the kids, who who knows, Joni? You, you know, they might pay attention now that we're yeah. gonna be a little bit bigger than we were. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah there's always yeah always potential. It's- Time will tell. Just to to follow up to the family aspect here, everybody in our family, uh, Janine's sister-in-law and her family, both sister-in-laws, were involved at some point in time in setting up and manning uh, uh, farmer's market booths, setting up the tent, dragging the coolers. And and then, uh, you know, after she started getting in stores, the the in-store demos, um, you know, telling the story about the farm, those types of things. Yeah, um, a yeah. lot of support. So we, that's yeah, so cool. Yeah, we've all we've all had a piece of uh, seeing yeah when this happened. You know? Everybody's had a hand. It in really it. is. It really is like the American dream. You know, it's like the that that dream picture. People are like, yeah, and like the whole family's involved, and <laughs> like truly from soil to plate, it's it's amazing. And I think a lot of people are going to be inspired from the story and there's a lot to learn from it as well, because it's a great demonstration of like how collaboration really does build strong businesses. And it's part of this whole regenerative mindset where if you really believe in regenerative methods, collaboration is king in, in regeneration. I mean, you're working with nature instead of against her or trying to control it. You're worth working with other industry partners and, and it's, it's like a collaborative process and, you know, I think that there's just a lot we can learn about how we can transform agriculture in a resilient way um, into the future through what you guys have done and the model that you have proven works. So, you know, I what do you think people should do today to help bring more regenerative, you know, companies like this and more regenerative partnerships like this into reality? What do you think consumers could do? They just, or people. Yeah, they just need to ask. <laughs> just general people. Yeah, they need to ask for better products on shelf, more local products on shelf. Um, and it's just basically just a demand. They just need to demand that they want to know where the food comes from and um, ask for these type of products from their retailers. You know, and the social yeah. media is a perfect place for that, you know, to, to belong to that and to just support, really just to yeah. help support these local companies that are trying to do exactly what we're trying to do and just support them as much as you can. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I would add that a little bit. I think uh, more education, but I think the the current environment of more global concern about climate change implications is expressing itself in food buying demand. But again, mm-hmm. I think there's maybe more education at a younger age on the need to treat the planet better uh, will transition transcend into food buying habits, and in my view, probably more research by individuals on what they're buying uh, is also mm-hmm. a big part of it. Being motivated, uh, you know, our kids and grandkids read food labels that uh, we never read a food label when I was growing up. <laughs> well, most of us <laughs> yeah. raised at home, but just the the entire demand process is is changing in a manner that I think is reflecting, again, back to some of the climate change issues. Yeah. How are, you know, in your conversations with other farmers, 
What are you hearing from other farmers around that conversation? Climate change being a major pressure, regenerative agriculture getting a lot of hype, especially with this recent USDA Climate Smart Commodities Bill. What what are you hearing and what are the conversations you want to have happening? Well, I guess I'm, I'm, there's a very slow shift, I think, in commodity agriculture has been dragging their feet on, uh, I guess, addressing climate change issues simply because of a fear of more regulation. It's, it's, been the, mm-hmm. it's probably been the primary drag on that. And I think that is changing. Uh, it's, it's just obvious with what the corporate world is doing to respond to consumers, to shareholders, um, that and seeing what's going on around the world as far as uh, environmental, you know, storm events and those types of things, the drought in the Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, the global issues related to climate change is uh, slowly transforming the vast majority of the production is in commodity crops. And we've got to get that mm-hmm. shifted more in the direction, yep. you know, the uh, this climate smart uh, funding thing is going to be a big issue, I think, is, is maybe going to have a pretty significant impact on uh, commodity growers' mm-hmm. views of all of this. So it's yeah. been a slow process, but I can go clear back to when we started Shepherd's Grain was sort of an offshoot of the Pacific Northwest Direct Seed Association. When we yep. founded that mm-hmm. group to address basically environmental issues of uh, topsoil loss, and mm-hmm. that motivated us to start looking at marketing options, which uh, Shepherd's Grain was an outgrowth of that. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if Janine's business uh, has the success going forward, she's had, um, there's there's going to be a lot more interest in that. Uh, but um, it's it's been a long process. <laughs> yeah, like yeah these slow. things don't change overnight. <laughs> right. Yeah, slow. you just don't it's, change whole landscapes and whole economies overnight. It's like bit by bit, it's a critical mass thing. And that's why, again, that, you know, that focus on the consumers. And like you said, consumers have a whole new way of looking at food. They're more curious than they used to be the label reading and actually really wanting to know where it came from. And that whole idea of provenance is, um, especially after COVID with all these global supply chains being disrupted and people being fearful about where their food's Mm -hmm. coming from. Um, I think it's just spurning a whole rethinking of our food system, which was horribly needed right. <laughs> before COVID. Right. And COVID just really made it exposed and made it have to happen really quickly. And then now with the pressures with the war in Ukraine and the you know the pressures on input costs and stuff, that's a whole nother a whole nother layer that I can't believe it's all happened in three years. Is what right. I can't believe, <clears throat> but like Janine is experiencing, it's also opening up some incredible mm-hmm. opportunities. Um, I just hope that we continue to see more and more of these opportunities emerge because foods like what you are doing is food for the future that will, you know, make us be able to feed a planet, a growing planet of people in perpetuity. So thank you for all the work that you guys do. And where else can we find you? Like if somebody wants to reach out to you, Janine or Russ, like how can they follow you or how can they learn more? How should people reach out to you? Because they're going to have questions. Well, you have to call Russ on his cell phone. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's, that's about it for, um, yeah, you know, we're we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok now, un- unbelievably so. Um, you know, we've got our website. Uh, you can contact us there. Um, Facebook. I mean, we're yeah. we're on all of those yeah. platforms. We'll put those links. We'll put those links yep. um, to those platforms on, in the chat yeah. or in the bo- the information box below. Yep. Well, Clint's cool. a lot more tech savvy than I am as far as keeping up on that stuff. <laughs> Although I have nice. more time, but uh, he's much more efficient than I am. So uh, on the farm side, yeah, yeah tech, on the farm tech side. native, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Well, well, I hope this get you know just generates more curiosity. And if you're a retailer or someone out there, like, and you're trying to get in touch with Janine, I reach out to me and I'll make sure you get <laughs> connected. <laughs> Joni, I just want to say so, thank you for your part in everything that you're doing to get the message out and to, you know, share the importance you. of regenerative farming. And we just, you know, you're doing a fantastic job yourself and you should get some accolades for that. Thank you. So, Thank you, well, and thanks I for having us. Do appreciate yeah, that. I, yeah, I, thanks I, I for having us, Jody. Uh, <laughs> oh, thanks, Russ. Yeah, we really appreciate your effort here and what what you're doing, what you're yeah. committed to. Fantastic. Well, I'll probably see you again this fall at the Spokane Farm and Food Symposium. Likely, I'll be <laughs> speaking again okay. on the same topic I always <laughs> am about how we how we create this category for regenerative crops and how we change the market so that more um, farmers that are doing it. In, um, in a way that's sustainable can reach consumers and still have this the story be told. So if you're listening to this and you love this story, please share, um, share with your friends, share on social media, like and leave a review on um, iTunes because it actually really does a lot to help spread the message and make brands like Janine's and Russ um, succeed. So thanks for joining us today and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.